the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. Good to be with you today. We are live today. It is Martin Luther King birthday, 2024, and I hope that you're taking it as a a day off, Uh, but if you're not, then... uh, uh, you know, you're working with me, but it's always good to be with you. 888-528-2557 is the number if you want to join the conversation. 888-528-2557. They're voting in Iowa. It is the first uh, votes that are being cast that matter. This is the first poll that matters. And uh, I think it's probably going to uh, be pretty clear maybe what happens, but who knows? It's negative five. Have you ever been in weather that's like under zero? I don't really understand that kind of cold, right? It's, uh, I, you know, I've been in one time I went skiing and they said at the top of the hill, the wind chill factor was negative seven, but I was only up there for a couple of seconds and then I was down and it was like 23 at the bottom of the hill. So I, I don't really even know what that is. And, you know, it's quite it's very dedicated, these people who are going out and uh, voting and voting, particularly in a caucus system where you get together in a room and actually debate and you sort of divide up in the room based upon who you're voting for. And then you make some arguments and then people cross the room. Well, I guess I was for Nikki Haley, but now I'm for DeSantis and I was for DeSantis and now I'm for Trump and I was for Trump. Now I'm, uh, you know, I'm just going to go home, whatever it is. Uh, that's what you do. And then uh, wherever it ends up at the end of the time period, everybody in each group cast their vote. And that's it. That's how it works. I wish we did that here. I think that would be amazing that we would be forced to actually go and speak our mind, you know, about what we think ought ought to happen. Uh, These are just a few of the statements being made from uh, the major candidates um, today. Let's see. That's not working. There, I was trying to. Do you think we have to be worried today? No. I'm not worried. People are excited. They're energized. Look, we have a country to save. They get this. They're tired of the chaos. They're tired of the names of the past. And they don't want a President Kamala Harris. They want us to win in November. We beat Joe Biden by double digits. Nobody else does that. That's what this is about is we don't want another Joe Biden presidency. 75% of Americans say they don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. We're going to not only win, we're going to win with such a mandate that we go and get our economy back on track. You win by double digits, that says a lot. We're going to get our economy back on track. We're going to get our kids reading again, go back to the basics in education. We're going to secure our border once and for all. We're going to bring law and order back to our country. But more than anything, we're going to have a strong America that people can be proud of again. That's our goal. That's what we're going to get done. All right. That was Nikki Haley giving her closing thoughts there. She keeps talking about double-digit lead. That's because a poll came out that said uh, versus Biden, she would win 
win by uh, double digits. Uh, those polls kind of go up and down, you know, all of the time. But that's what she's getting at with that. Ron DeSantis. When you have the organization, I mean, if you're snowed in and your driveway. Oh, he's talking about that's not the wrong. That's the wrong one. I clicked on the wrong thing. But that's uh, him talking about getting out there to vote. Here's DeSantis. Well, Donald Trump is focused on his issues. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he talks about. I'm focused on your issues. I'm focused on your family's issues. It's not about me. Um, it's about the future of the country. I delivered on 100 percent of my promises. You know, Donald Trump did not build the wall, did not drain the swamp. I've also taken on the left and the Democrats and beaten them on these big issues. Trump, Pelosi and Schumer beat him on the budget uh, and on all these issues. And so I'm going to be able to get in, win, get the job done. I'm the only veteran running for president. Yeah. And that means I'm mission first. Uh, I'm going to focus on you, not going to focus on me. That was Governor Ron DeSantis who is encouraging people to vote for him. It's such an interesting thing this year because Donald Trump is so far ahead. Um, but we'll see, right? Is he far ahead or not? Iowa is a weird thing because people can get together and have conversation with each other. And sometimes the result is not at all what people think because people change their mind. Like they're literally in a room and they discuss it and they say, you know what? You're right. I'm going to vote for somebody else. And they walk across the room. They physically have to get up, walk across the room and go sit with the other candidates' people. Can you imagine that? Do you think we'd be more healthy if we did that? I think we would. 888-528-2557. I think that is the number if you want to join the conversation. I think we would be more healthy if that's the way we voted everywhere, right? You show up, you you say what you think, and you debate, and you try to persuade, and I think it cuts through a lot of it. I'm sure there's people there who just throw down all of the you know, the the falderall statements about whatever candidate and the slogans and whatever. But I think most people probably really get into it. You know, there's probably every every caucus, every room full of people, there's probably one guy who gets up and says something that embarrasses everybody else. But other than that, it's probably a great uh, system. Have you ever participated in that? Have you been a part of a caucus state? There's some others, Nevada and some other states do it. 888-528-2557. I think it's more healthy. Uh, Donald Trump was encouraging people to go out to vote. And uh, this is what he had to say to encourage you to go out and vote. So if you want to save America from crooked Joe Biden, you must go caucus tomorrow. The first step. The first step. We're going to do it. We're going to do it big. you got to get out. You can't sit home. If you're sick as a dog, you say, darling, I've got to Even if you vote and then pass away, it's worth it. <laughs> if you're sick, if you're just so sick, you can't. Darling, I don't think. Get up. Get up. You get up, you vote. Yes, darling. Ultimately, we know who calls the shots, right? Right, right, Polly? So you be safe and all. You're going to be safe. And again, all indoors. It's going to be all indoors. But you got to get up. you got to vote. Donald Trump is the only candidate in American history of any party of any place who could tell people in an audience, uh, you need to get up and vote for me even if you die afterward because it's so cold out there. And everybody just laughs. Can you imagine if Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley or any of the rest of them, even Joe Biden said that? You know, people go, why did he say that? Does he really? There would be a serious conversation about it. Somebody out there is probably trying to have a serious conversation about it now. It's it's not. Uh, that's just what he does. Uh, he's out there, and uh, that's what happens. So um, I think probably Donald Trump's going to win. Uh, DeSantis, if he comes in uh, third, is uh, maybe going to quit. Nikki Haley, she'll come and she'll quit if she's in fourth. If Vivek Ramaswamy uh, shows up, he's had a good ground game out there and doing all that. Anyway, we'll discuss that more tomorrow. It's in the news. In the last hour, we took some time talking about the local elections. But, you know, being able to talk with one another, 
the the caucusing that they do, the ability to show up and actually talk to each other about politics and people who you disagree with, people who you maybe vehemently disagree with, that's something that we need back. And that's something we need in every part of our life, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't it be better if we just with any discussion in our family or with our friends or in our churches or other places we could actually come to some agreement without it getting too nasty, or at least talk about it. I think that we're in a world today where we don't really want to have that discussion, where we put up walls between each other on all kinds of different issues, and we can no longer discuss it. I used to do uh, a comedy act. I know that's surprising to some of you, but I was doing impersonations of all the presidents, and it was all the presidents, and it was news people, and it was a joke about every president. doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, and everybody would laugh, ah, and you have the same jokes you know, all the time. I can't do that today because people are too serious. What are you doing? You're mocking my guy. You're mocking our side. You know, why are you doing that? And, you know, to me, we've lost a lot in our culture when you can't joke about it anymore, when you can't just kind of have a good time with something that's very serious, uh, that matters, that's impactful, of course. But part of, I think, our problem is that we are in a place where it's just not funny and people can't you know, just make little jokes. Remember the comedian Rich Little, he does all the the impersonations. Uh, I don't know if he would make it today. Uh, there are a couple of guys out there who do some really good impersonations of people, but I don't think they have the audience they would because it's made people uncomfortable. It's made people feel like it's costing them relationships. Have you lost a relationship with somebody because of your political point of view or any other opinion. It could be sports. You know, maybe maybe you just have been a Lions fan for 30 years and for 40 years, 50 years, and today you just can't help putting it in people's face that you beat the Rams. <laughs> and uh, Jose is saying, yes, uh, that's me. Uh, you know, I got to say I'm happy for uh, the Lions. I'm always happy when some team wins and they haven't won for a long time. That's why I'm a Dodger fan. 888-528-255. People like, 2020, the Dodgers went, nah, you know, you can keep winning the regular season and uh, 2020, I'm not sure that counts really. 888-528-2557 is the number. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We talk about issues of the day from a Christian perspective. And uh, to bring that around to what today is, Martin Luther King holiday today. And I have found it interesting that much of what is written and being said today about Martin Luther King Jr., which I think is very interesting, and important is people are questioning whether or not we still believe the things that he believed. Now, if you haven't really studied Martin Luther King or listened to a lot of his uh, speeches or read letters from Birmingham jail or stuff, you may not be aware of a lot of his views on different things. He had uh, a lot of views that might sound a little bit modern, right? That, oh, that's what I'm hearing from uh, activists today. But you're really not because his basis for those things is different. The place where he was, the time period he lived in was different. And one of the things that is maybe the most important is his view on nonviolence. And in particular with the protesting that we've had in so many different ways over the last few years, obviously January 6th, before that, the uh, 2020 riots over the summer, the BLM, the Antifa, uh, different groups over the past few years. A lot of people who have studied what is actually taught by by being nonviolent, what Dr. King 
actually taught, what he tried to bring to the table, is something that we seem to not believe in anymore. This was part of a discussion. This is Dr. Bernice King, uh, one of his daughters, who is talking about this in the King Center in Atlanta and how important this is. For us, nonviolence is a, a love-centered way of thinking, speaking, acting, and engaging <clears throat> Excuse me. that leads to personal, cultural, and societal transformation. Um, so this year I am emphasizing, we at the King Center emphasizing, please, let's take some time and really study. Why do we need to study it? Because it was effective in society. It, is, it has a track record, you know, a proven track record of bringing about social transformation. Um, and we desperately need that right now because we're responding and we're reacting. And most times it's out of our emotional space. But nonviolence really takes you to a higher level of critical thinking and processing and engaging so that you're not in the business of just trying to move people to the side, counsel them, destroy them, demolish them, diminish them, berate, berate them and all of that kind of stuff. Nonviolence helps us to elevate to a whole nother different level and find pathways forward that are healthy um, for everyone. The idea of nonviolence is it's not pacifism. It's really important to, un to understand that is that pacifism is something completely different than nonviolence. Nonviolence is the idea that says, you know what, there is a time to go to war and there is a time when you've got to uh, toss the tables in the temple. But most of the time, the way to get things done, the way to make progress, the way to be effective, as she put it, is a nonviolent approach. And one of the reasons that things are not the same or not going well is because we are rejecting that notion where many people go right to violence, whether it be actual physical violence or supporting violence that happens in a, a riot or a protest, even though most people who are present maybe wouldn't support that or a lot of people go home. It changes it, doesn't it? You know, I was having a discussion here about uh, with somebody about January 6th. And, you know, if that day had not gotten violent, if nobody had gone into the Capitol, if if there was no violence, if it was just a big protest and, you know, and then people went home and whatever happened, happened, I we probably we wouldn't be hearing about it and it wouldn't even be an issue. I'll bet that Donald Trump wouldn't even be in court. I bet that the world would be different for people who are on that side of things had it not gone violent. It changed the entire dynamic. The violence that happened in the protests in 2020 after George Floyd, you know, for a couple of weeks, there wasn't too much violence, but there was a lot of it at the end, right? There would be a peaceful protest, and then another group of people would come in and uh, destroy the town. I followed one of these very closely it, uh, because my kid's school was in that neighborhood. And I watched the protest happen during the day, and it was peaceful as far as those things go, and people said their thing. And almost everybody went home, but right about the time the sun went down, a whole bunch of other people showed up and started lighting things on fire and throwing bricks through windows. And the news story the next day hardly even covered whatever it was that people were saying in the initial protest, the peaceful part. It was about the carnage and the, the rioting and the burning down of so many buildings and the destruction and that carries the day. You know, when we when we decide whatever our point of view is to get violent, when we decide that we're going to harm another person, that is what ends up carrying the day. And it's some people do it on purpose. Their design is to make you afraid. The design and the purpose of it is to cause you to not come out and support your side if you have a competing point of view about something. Um, the violence is very, very bad. And one of the things that is happening today that is 
that is deliberate. And if you're ever out there and you're you're protesting something, there you know the Antifa groups and there's a couple other groups that come out often and they usually have the outfits on and they look kind of threatening. Their entire goal is to get you to do the violence. So they might th- put their finger in your face and you know and do this right in your face. You ever have somebody do that like put your finger their finger in your face and shout at you right in your face? The thing is is that the reason for that some people they're just doing it because they don't have they've lost their temper. But a lot of people are doing that on purpose because what they want you to do is smack that hand away. They want you to give them a shove. See, and as soon as you do that, you are on the hook for assault. Right? As soon as you do that, you're the one who's committed violence. Even though you were goaded, even though you were brought into it, even though you know you were you were just brought to this boiling point. It's a strategy that is taught by certain activists because they know that if you're the one who commits the violent act, you have changed the entire conversation about whatever it is. And nonviolence is being able to resist that. Nonviolence is to be able to say, I'm going to come out there and I am going to say my piece and I'm going to, I'm going to take my First Amendment rights and I'm going, to, I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to do it legally. I'm going to follow whatever rules are set out there, but I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to do it. And when some other side decides that they're going to get in my face, I'm not going to shove them. Right? In the cases of the civil rights movement, you know, whenever there was violence at any of these marches or protests, no progress was made. But as soon as there wasn't violence on the on the on on the side of those who were protesting, particularly the people that Martin Luther King would lead in uh, some of these things, as soon as people went to their knees and the fire hoses were turned on them and they weren't really doing anything, right? As soon as the world saw one side is really wrong. See what happens with nonviolence is it causes you to show the other side for what they are. Remember the kid who was uh, at that demonstration and all the protesters got in his face and he just smiled at them? And uh, so this kid was at this demonstration, this gun demonstration. All he did was smile and uh, they were in his face and it was on all the news and he was criticizing everything. Who won that whole argument? That kid did. And he won because he was um, embarrassed. He was written about, he but he didn't do anything. He just stayed there and he grinned. And he practiced, whether intentionally or not, nonviolence. If he would have shoved one of those people, if he would have smacked one of them in the face, which is what you feel like doing, it would have gone the other way. He would have been the aggressor. See what I'm saying? That is something that matters today. And in the world that we're living in now, where we have very high tensions, we're also living in a world where more and more people are saying, you know what, violence is the way that maybe we do need to do this. And, you know, I get it when people are mad. I watched a video um, last week where there was a protest going on in New York City and people are just trying to get to work. So it's one of these protests where people are blocking off the street, right? And I can't imagine being more angry at protesters than I'm trying to get to work or I'm trying to get to the doctor or I've got to be somewhere on time. Maybe it's a job interview. Maybe I'm a cab driver or an Uber driver and I got somebody in my car I need to get and I'm stuck. Because some guy has glued himself to the street. This guy got out of his cab. He was a cab driver. And he just goes up and he starts physically shoving these protesters out of the way. And the thing is, is I thought, you know, the problem is, is I get why he's mad. But he's the one who's going to get in trouble, most likely for that. Because he's the one who got physical. And you know what? You might say they deserve it. And I think they deserve it. You know, they do. They deserve it. But deserve isn't always the right answer. You know, the right answer is because before he does that, they look like the people who are in the wrong. They look like the people who are 
are harming the society and I don't want to join whatever their point of view is. But as soon as there's violence, then it's either a, a, you know, nobody wins or it actually reverses who has the better argument because nobody really likes the violence. That's part of what is important, I think, if you take today and you take a look at a Martin Luther King legacy and you take a look at why this day is today, you take a look at the parts of his life that elevated him above all the other civil rights activists, that elevated him above all of those other people to uh, levels today where we have a holiday where there's in just about every town a school or a street something named after Martin Luther King Jr. We remember and we talk about the reason for that. And, you know, people today, you know, we criticize Martin Luther King the same way we criticize any other public figure or founding father or whoever. We figure out whatever their moral flaws were, and then we say, oh, they're no good. We turn down their statue or we do something. You know, you can't do that to people. Everybody's flawed. But you take a look at the thing that made them transcend all of the other people, all of the other ideas that are out there. And with him, it's nonviolence. With him is to say, hey— there are legitimate things to be upset about, but proceeding in violence, proceeding with the rioting, proceeding with whatever it is, you cannot fight violence with more violence. It won't work. You won't get your message across. The message gets across when we show the other side to be violent, when we show the other side to be discriminating, when we show that the other side are bigots, when we show that the other side uh, is morally wrong. We do that by letting them just be themselves and not interrupting that. Uh, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. This is the Pastor Scott Show, but it matters. Jesus told us that. That's what he meant when he said, turn the other cheek. He's not saying be a pacifist. He's saying you turn around and show who the unjust person is, and you can do that. This is Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, 888-528-2557. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. I am happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. That is Martin Luther King Jr. at uh, the beginning of the I Have a Dream speech, probably his most famous speech. Well, of course, there are very, very many of them. And uh, we're talking about the legacy of Martin Luther King and how nonviolence and the teaching of, of nonviolent approaches to our issues matters so much. And that's something that has, I think, fallen on uh, deaf ears today. It's always a hard thing, right? When Jesus said... Uh, you know, turn the other cheek. If somebody sues you for your cloak, give them your tunic also. Uh, it is one of those passages where people say, what? Why would you do that? But when you dig into it and what it would have meant to the audience he's speaking to, 
what it does is it changes the conversation so that if somebody is suing you um, in a way and you're a poor person and they want to take your coat, well, give them your tunic also. And what would that leave you? Well, you would be standing there naked. And in that culture, you know, who's worse, you know, the guy, the naked guy or the guy who's standing there holding his cloak and his tunic? Well, the guy standing there is is now has to defend himself for what he's doing, right? If you are told by a Roman soldier who is oppressing you, and you're most likely a slave in Roman culture, most people were, um, and you were forced to walk a mile, that was the law. If a Roman soldier said, hey, carry my equipment for a mile, when you did, and Jesus says, walk another mile with him, give him another mile, um, what happens is, is you have the right to drop all of his stuff after you reached one mile. He couldn't ask you for a second one. But if you walked another mile, you just kept going, said, oh, I'll give you another mile. Now suddenly, you know, imagine the Roman soldier, like all of a sudden he's got a question himself. Like, what are you doing? Why are you going? You don't have to do this. Why are you doing this? I'm, I'm oppressing you. And now you're going to walk my stuff another mile. See, there's, there is something about Jesus's teaching there that reminds us that we have the ability to turn the tables. We have the ability to say, hey, when there's a wrong that is happening, you know, there is a time, and I think biblically you can make the argument, there is a time for war. There is a time where uh, violence coming from the state or from government is going to happen, right? But when, with respect to internal things, with respect to our relationships with one another, that's the wrong way to do it. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to wisely demonstrate who is in the wrong by sometimes continuing to do on your own free will what you were forced to do otherwise. See, there's a difference when I'm by free will going to keep doing this thing, um, which shows anybody who's looking that I'm not the bad guy here. See, that's nonviolence. Nonviolence is, is the source of loving your enemy. It's the sort, and what does that do? It's like putting burning coals upon his head, right? It is something that is so wise and so smart, but it's also something that ultimately brings people together because the goal is something that is really, really important. And that was the goal of Martin Luther King Jr. was that our country would reach out to its ideals. He was never anti-United States. He was never anti our vision for all men are created equal. He wanted us to live up to that. He wanted us to live up to that. Same with a lot of other leaders who back in time, Frederick Douglass, you know, if you read his stuff back from the 1800s, he had some very harsh things to say. And he was a free man in the time of slavery. He had very harsh things to say about the United States and uh, Fourth of July, for example, or things that we celebrate about our freedom. However, when you read his entire remarks, he never says the ideals of the country are bad. He never says that the country should be destroyed. Instead, he says, hey, we aren't living up to the values that we have set forward. We have these values that all men are created equal, that we are endowed by our creator, certain and alienable rights, and we're not living up to that and pointing out how wrong that has been. See, that, that is something that we are also losing, where sometimes today we point out the injustices that exist, but instead of saying, hey, we're not living up to our values, somehow we've decided that our values are bad, right? Somehow we've decided in this day and age that we are a bad country, that somehow America is evil. And this gets taught in a lot of our schools. That's why you have some of these protesters who are out there even celebrating, you know, what's going on in the Middle East and attacks on Americans, 
today. And part of it is because some of the ethos is somehow America is bad. Rather than teaching, hey, America needs to live up to its values, which are great, we have decided the values are bad. And I think part of that is because you have to say, and this is the spiritual part of it, you have to say that those values come from God. That's where they came from, our creator. Now, the founders didn't, you know, in their own life, most of them were a Christian or they were at least believing in the Christian God or leaning that way, some different opinions there. But they understood that a nation is under God, that a something they've understood through history is that the government shouldn't determine for you what your beliefs are and also that the government shouldn't determine for you what your basic human rights should be, that those have to come from a creator. They have to be higher than government because if government can determine what those things are for you, then government can take them away. And as we become more and more of a secular nation, which we are, we are going to have a more and more difficult time accepting the ideas that the notion of human rights, the notion of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the notion of whatever it is that we think makes human beings worth having rights, the more secular we get, the more you have to believe that those rights are conveyed upon you by government by powerful people. And as soon as you go down that road, then they can be taken away. It's one of the many flaws with Marxism and the communist idea is that they had some criticisms of capitalism and and the injustices that sometimes happen, uh, that often happen. But they took God out of the picture. They didn't understand that human beings are fallen, that there will be greed, and that you're not going to have some civilization where all of a sudden everything is fair and equitable because human beings have greed. Because human beings, you know, and what happens in those systems, in the Marxist systems or the experiments that have gone on in history, communism, even in socialism, what do you end up with? You end up with a elite group of people who have all the money and all the stuff, much smaller than what we have now, Um, and you have no mobility for anybody else, and you have freedoms that get taken away. Why? Because they don't come from God. They come from the government. If the government decides your freedoms are bad or your freedoms don't work or we should limit your freedoms here or there or somewhere, then if they came from government in the first place, then they have every right to take them away. See, if your rights as a human being come from God, if the equality you have as a human being, that you're made in the image of God, regardless of your race or ethnicity or background, that we're all made in the image of God— If that comes from God, then no human being and no system of government has the right or ability to take that away from you, right? It is our job to acknowledge that and to do our best to live up to that. And that is something that we're losing because in order to hold on to that, you have to hold on to God. If I think one of the reasons that we're losing, and there's a great article in, uh, it's called The Free Press, which I think is a great publication. It's not a Christian publication. It's actually put out by people who are Uh, On the left, Barry Weiss and that crowd, if you watch them. But the free press has really got some good stuff. And uh, they interviewed today Martin Luther King Jr.'s speechwriter, the guy who wrote a big chunk of the I Have a Dream speech. He didn't write I Have a Dream. That was all Martin Luther King. But he wrote a lot of that speech. And he wrote a lot of the speeches that Martin Luther King said. And he was asked, you know, where are we at today? Are the views that Martin, what would he think about things today? And he basically said this. He said, here's a quote from him. He said, regrettably, some very important parts of his message are not being remembered, uh, particularly his views in radical nonviolence and his eagerness to build allies across ethnic lines. He said, put in a more negative way, King's messages have been forgotten. And I think a big reason why they get forgotten is because 
at the end of the day, he is rooting those things in two places, in our national identity, our national identity as a people who understood that our freedoms come from God, a creator. And he was rooting them as a Christian pastor in the scriptures, in teaching about Jesus. So you can't get too far. You might agree or disagree with him on lots of different points here and there, theologically or otherwise, and uh, that's fine. But you cannot decide that he didn't root those things in a spiritual idea or in an idea that was conveyed by our founding fathers. And if you don't like those things, if you've decided that our founding fathers are all bad and that our country is evil and that there's no God or that somehow religion is just all bad for people, then you can't celebrate Martin Luther King. You can't celebrate anything that he talked about because it's rooted in the idea that all men are created equal. It's rooted in the idea that we ought to be able to come together and have a conversation and in a nonviolent way come together in in a way that is special, in a way where we actually have equality, in a way where we actually can bridge the gaps that we so often have. See, the, our country, as we become more and more secular, as we feel like there is no need for God, as we decide that human beings, male and female, as God created them, is not true, as we decide that there is no creator with any authority, that there is no resurrection, that there is no hope other than whatever we can garner from science. As we get rid of Genesis 1 through 3, the trouble is, as we have taken away the foundation, not just for our entire country, but for every ideal that we have ever taught. And that's something that we have to grapple with and that we have to to bring back It Matters. This is the Pastor Scott Show. You can join our conversation by calling 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. You can also follow me on social media right now on X and formerly Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Pastor Scott Show, and you can watch us live at kkla.com. We'll be back as the Monday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. Even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. We are live today, Martin Luther King Day. I know many of you have a holiday. Hopefully you're having a good day. I think schools are out, banks are closed, and uh, federal buildings are closed. But a lot of people are working, and uh, we are. It's good to be with you today. And I was talking about Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King Jr. And that, that quote right there, I think, is one of the ones from his I Have a Dream speech that is important, that he isn't talking about being anti-American. He's talking about America living up to its values. And there are a bunch of things. If you ever get a chance to go to Atlanta, a couple of places that you should go in Atlanta, 
Um, and uh, one of them is the Martin Luther King Jr. Center. That's where he's buried, and there's a museum there and a lot of education. And it's right next to the Ebenezer Baptist Church. There's the one where he was actually the pastor is there. It's part of the museum now. The, the church still exists. It's across the street. But the actual church that he was the pastor at is still there. And you can go in there, and they're playing his sermons, and the sermons are all about nonviolence. And you go in the basement area, there's more sermons, and it's pretty cool to go through there. And another place you should go is the Jimmy Carter Presidential Library. I like presidential libraries. I've been to um, several of them. We keep having new presidents, and they'll build a new one. Where do you think the uh, Donald J. Trump Presidential Library is going to be one day? I think, <laughs> I think they're going to put it—I hope they put it in Trump Tower. That's what, I, that's what I think they should do. Like, it should include that residence he has up there that's all gold-plated, kind of looks like Hearst Castle kind of thing. That should be part of the tour in there. Anyway, somewhere there will be a place. And what presidential libraries do is that they serve two functions. One is it's a museum. You know, if you get in California here, you can go to the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, or you can go to the Reagan Library up in Simi Valley. And uh, I recommend it. Check it out. There, It's very interesting. You get a great grasp of history and what those administrations were about. And of course, they lean to try to preserve whatever positive legacy is there um, for that president. The, the ones that are more honest uh, keep parts of it that were the more negative parts. I always like that. You know, if you go to the Nixon Library, you can listen to the Watergate tapes and a big section of it is dedicated to that. It's good. That That's what you remember from Nixon, right? Um, if you go to the Reagan Library, it's there's a whole section about Iran-Contra, and you can listen to certain speeches and things about that. That was one of the biggest controversies back then. That's good. If you go to the Carter Library, they redid it a long time ago. They didn't include anything negative. It was kind of almost embarrassing. It's like it didn't, you know, if you remember, if you know your history, uh, his last year in particular in office was pretty terrible. We had a hostage crisis. We tried to rescue the hostages that crashed. We, we boycotted the Olympics. There was one bad thing after another. You know, inflation was far worse than we've even seen now, although this has been the worst period of inflation since then. It was much worse. Interest rates were crazy high. So many things were bad. Terrorism, lots of some of the same issues, you know, energy. And there was really not a lot about that. Now, if you go, they redid it. Now, actually, a lot of that's in there. And I think it's it's actually worth it. But something that I've been able to do is take tours of, uh, I used to take pastors. I used to go out there for a pastor conference every year. And it was a huge pastor's conference, like 1,300 past, 13,000, sorry, 13,000 pastors filling an arena. And uh, it was really great. And if I would go out there with some other guys, I would take them on a little tour, a little history tour of Atlanta and different things. But you could, we would deal with sort of the history of the Civil War and some of the other history that affects that part of the world. And we'd spend time at the King Center, and then we'd spend time at the Carter Library. And I like to do it in a, in a leadership sense. You know, what is what are the leadership lessons that we can learn when we take a look at these two guys? And, you know, one of the interesting things about it is the Carter Center, of course, it's a presidential library, a lot more money. Part of the money is coming from the government because the other part of the, so it's a library, all the libraries have uh, a museum, but they also have a research wing. And that's where all of the stuff, all the paperwork and all of the different things from various administrations, that's where it gets stored, basically. And you can go, if you're going to write a book about Ronald Reagan, you'll go up to the Reagan Library, and there's a part of the library you can get into, and you can research. You can look through the papers. You can look through everything. Um, it's there. 
Uh, it's where they keep all the gifts. You know, if a president gets a gift from another country whenever they visit, it really doesn't belong to the president. It belongs to the country, and those things are stored usually in these libraries or in some various musicians. Uh, 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 museums around the the world. Yes, and Jose is asking me about the uh, the Waffle House. Definitely part of the tour. Waffle House is my favorite thing. In fact, if you one of the most irritating things about California is we don't have the Waffle House. They're taxed out of California, right? The great thing in Atlanta, there are so many Waffle Houses. You know, are you familiar with what a Waffle House is? If you've been to one, you know, Waffle House. It's like this tiny little restaurant, and it's got a you you can sit up at the counter and eat or they've got four or five booths it's usually pretty small and in atlanta there are so many of them there's one place where there is a there are four waffle houses at each freeway exit at the same intersection so whichever exit you get off going north or south and you're turning east or west on the street there's a waffle house for you you don't even need to cross the street there's another one right there and uh, you might get shot there but the waffles are totally worth it have you been there uh, jose no, I want to go there. I hear the food is great, but the fights are better. It's incredible. Let me tell you, the first Waffle House, we'll get back to the story here in a second. The first Waffle House I ever went to was actually in uh, Kissimmee or Kissimmee, Florida, where you can still smoke, right? There's a smoking section over there. There's like four booths where you can smoke and two booths where you can't. And uh, I just thought, well, I'm going to go sit up at the counter. And the short order cook is smoking a cigarette. She's like seriously cooking my eggs, and she's got a cigarette dangling out of her mouth. I'm not even kidding. And when I got my eggs, I didn't know if it was pepper or ash. I'm just saying. And I thought, you know what? Culture right here. You don't have that in California. Plus, they have real butter. You know. Anyway, uh, so that's part of the tour. But the more important part of the tour is the leadership part of the tour. And I compare Jimmy Carter with Martin Luther King Jr. I ask people to, to make that comparison. And the interesting thing about it is that Martin Luther King Jr., did everything he did uh, without much money. Uh, they were poor. He came from nothing and was so successful. And he had no power, no real political power, you know, meaning elected office power. He had political power for sure. You know, he was able to amass that through uh, the protests and through people who were working with him. And because he was right on a particular set of issues that the country was uh, finally coming to wrestle with. Um, but something I always find really, really important is Jimmy Carter, who was a president, like him or not, his presidency was difficult. Most people do not. You know, today, we, we like him because of as an ex-president, he did some really good things. The Carter Center, it's not quite as good today, I think, as it once was. But at one point, it was really good. Won a Nobel Peace Prize, and it deserved it for curing waterborne illnesses around the, the world and doing some great stuff. And you can tour all that, and it's pretty cool. But his presidency is not one of the best. It just isn't from a historical standpoint. Um, but he had basically unlimited funds. He had incredible power, political power, military power, an incredible set of, you know, what kind of power do you have as president? You don't have total power, you know, but you've got a lot. And what was he able to do with it versus a Martin Luther King when you go there and you realize, you know what, he didn't really have anything. He started from the basement of this old church, you know, having some meetings and he had no legal office and he had no money and look what he was able to do. And one of the things I really like about that comparison, and it's not to criticize one or the other, but it's to say this, it's to say, you know, if you think you can't make a difference where you are, if you think that by speaking the truth, 
by practicing nonviolence, by really saying, you know what, I, I think I can make a difference here. If you think you can't do it, if you're hindered from doing it because you don't have any money, you don't have any power, you, you don't have whatever it is you think you need to get there. Let me tell you something. I think that if God is calling you to do something, and if you do it in the way he wants you to do it, in a way that um, follows the wisdom that you're called to have, I think that you have everything you need to accomplish great things, whether it be on a great scale or just a small scale. You know, you, there's probably not going to be a national holiday with your birthday, right? It could be. There could be. Uh, you might be the next one. That's possible, and I want you to believe that it is possible for you to do that. But probably not. There's only Washington and Lincoln, and we got rid of those two, didn't we? Put them on one lousy day, and you got Martin Luther King, and that's it. There's probably some other people who are deserving of having a holiday, um, but most of us aren't going to get that. But in your world, in whatever God has called you to do, in your family or your workplace or your club that you're a part of or your community, your school, you have what it takes to get things done, to make things better. You really do. You don't need to be president. You just need to trust the Lord and do the right thing and trust him for that outcome. Can I encourage you that way? That's one of the leadership lessons I think that I, that I really try to point out between those two guys is, you know, we're never going to have a Jimmy Carter holiday whatever you think about him, we will not be celebrating Jimmy Carter's birthday uh, in the United States. Um, and we're not going to celebrate most people. But you can do some amazing things. What's God calling you to do? Maybe that's just in your family. Maybe it's in a small group of people. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe you heard our conversation about what's going on in the schools. and you, Maybe you take a look at what's happening in our society and how we are losing our sense of where we came from, of what our values are and who they come from, from a creator. And you want to do something about that. Maybe you just have something passionate about to clean up your neighborhood or someplace. Don't think for a minute that you don't have what it takes if God is putting that on your heart. He'll make sure you can do it. And trust him for that. I believe all of us have something that may not get us any notoriety or attention that we're called to do, but there's something, and it'll impact somebody's life that God has put in your world. Do that. If you remember some things about today, think about it that way. All right, lots we can talk about, but we are out of time. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about Iowa results and other things. We've got uh, uh, some information about The Chosen. Go to kkla.com, by the way, if you want to go to The Chosen movie premiere and get your tickets at kkla.com. This is the Pastor Scott Show. I'll see you tomorrow from 3 to 5. Good night. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.